Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Speaking Generally podcast. I'm with George Taylor, and he is currently wearing a Christmas shirt of George Michael. Is that last Christmas wham? It's a beautiful photographic representation of my idol, George Michael, clutching a, a fistful of presents. It's 22 degrees in Princeton, Steve. So uh, a sunny, balmy day for it, but um, a lovely Finally shirt, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, running out of laundry, is that? <laughs> no, no, this one. This one's always washed and ready to go. Um, well, spring in, well, you're close to New York. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it, George? Isn't it autumn in New York is the song? Uh, no, but I mean, to, to be young and oh. in spring in New York. <laughs> oh, to be young in spring in New York. That <laughs> oft-heard oft phrase. Um, it's really beautiful where we are. I have to say spring has sprung in the last week or so. Um, blossom season, Steve. Oh, you and I were in Tokyo together a while ago, as everyone who listens to this podcast regularly knows, and that's, I, I suppose, the capital of the world for Blossom. Um, and it's, it's, there's a ton of it here. I'm like quite sort of pleasantly surprised. It doesn't feel like the UK. Um, it's just sort of eruptions of Blossom all over the shop. We, um, yeah, we went out for a walk around the town today, and it's, it's really beautiful. Um, yeah, very a different array of foliage to the UK and uh, an array of foliage I'm very happy to be around. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we live in, England is a very green country. That's what we do well. We do the old green. Um, daffodils, famously, words yeah. Um Well, I've been on, what have my, my life has been, George, running in the park, mm. uh, reading. Blossom in the park. Uh, it's actually looking quite nice. It's quite, it's coming out and people have started, you know, drinking outside again. So that's wonderful. At long last. Always a lovely sight. Um, yeah, George, I've really been on a massive book buying binge, mate. That's fantastic. I, I love it. But I'm, I'm now getting a bit silly where they are literally, they are piling up around me. Yeah. You know, like one of those shopkeepers in London in the um, bodegas is just yeah. surrounded by snacks. I'm starting to just, my my office here is just books. Bricking yourself in. Like and I probably the, read, one, I read one book for every five that come in, I think. That's, yeah. That's yeah. I, have, I have a similar thing. I mean, it's uh, my birthday is soon approaching, Steve, and I indulge myself my birthday by doing a huge kind of one-off haul but I try and then keep it. I keep that isolated to Christmas and my birthday so that I can then feel like I'm making progress. You know, if there's a 50 book to read pile, by the time it comes to Christmas, I've cut through a chunk of it and then it restocks. So it never, I try not to let it get me day to day. You know, I like to create a bit of a mound and then work through it. But right. you, you go in the day to day route. Yeah, I go through, you know what, I was reading some of my, my friend Ramit Sethi, who, who runs the website, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, he's, uh, nice friend. He, he's a pal, and he, um, he has these money rules about spending, because his whole thing is that too many money advice people are always about scrupulously cutting costs, saving, <sighs> being very frugal and careful, but his thing is, okay, that is a part of it and investing and all that. But his part is also like, like for a rich life, you should have decisions on where you can mercilessly cut the costs and where you can extravagantly spend. Mm. You enjoy your life and, and whatever. And he has things he likes to spend on. He likes to 
you know, travel in a fairly luxurious way. But like, I he has a rule with book buying where he kind of says, whatever I see, if it's even mildly interesting, I'm allowed to buy it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't care. He doesn't want to count the cost of when he buys things. And I sort of started thinking like that. <laughs> and, and every time I'm on Amazon, when I realize I've just about to shoot something in the wish list and I'm dithering on it, I just go, well, why, why aren't I just buying this now? What am I trying to, you know, what am I trying to scrimp and save on these books? I'm going to read anyway. They're a fairly, you know, I'm, I'm not buying like 40 pound hardbacks all the time. I'm, you know, just buying a paperback or whatever. So I, but then it does mean once I realize every few days an, um, another delivery is coming and it's like a 600 page book. Yeah. I start to realize this is a bit mental just on a pure space and well that's it it's not it's not just the financial cost right it's like there is also um i've not really watched any of the marie kondo like how to clean up your life kind of thing but that starts to become a bit of a weight of oh god i've bought all these books i need to read them and oh where do i start what do i choose next it's like if you if i had a to read pile of five books it would it would feel lighter than the huge towering mound that's looming over me so i suppose that's the you do read a lot right we both read a lot so we will get through those books but then you're kind of keeping yourself um slightly under pressure a little bit it's not it's not the six pounds that the paperback costs that's going to affect you it's the oh god when am i going to get to that kind of pressure almost like to validate the expense and because Um, they're, they're all over like in different rooms i'll go in different rooms and go Oh, I, really want, I really want to read that. And I'll be like, I can't because I'm in the middle yeah. of something else. So I yeah. shouldn't read that up. So almost I, I should stuff them away in the bookshelf as if they are just library books. But then you may as well not afford them, right? Because I suppose <laughs> if they're on Amazon, they could be in your hands from the Amazon warehouse to you in about four hours anyway. I know. It's, you uh, might as well let Bezos do the, do the filing for you and hang on to them. It's a tricky one because in some ways you want the pressure on you of knowing how mm. much there is still to read in your life. You want to be constantly reminded, okay, I should keep reading because there's a lot here. But um, Something I do with as a way to, maybe we've talked about this before, but to like kind of manage having a huge to read pile is to just create a much smaller one. It sounds sort of obvious, but I'll pull like four or five from the shelves and have yeah. a, kind of much more present like next to read I guess almost like the bedside table but I certainly wouldn't put it on the bedside table and they're kind of the books that are fresh in my mind from oh I saw a film that was about that topic I've got a book about it on my shelf I'll pull that up to the front and kind of do it that way and it it's a really nice marker it's kind of oh I can read that in the next month or so and sort of track my progress that way um that works really well for me it keeps things fresh and yeah yeah, keeps you accountable and I always sort of think to that pile, I'm definitely going to add one of the books that's been on my to-read pile for the longest. Make sure something, you know, something older, maybe something that's just arrived, and then one or two things from, yeah, things that have caught my eye recently. That certainly keeps it fresh, and yeah, it's maybe worth trying out. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of reading, George, I'm actually uh, on the the other side of the coin, as it were. I'm uh, starting. I'm starting to do a little writing course. Here we go. Started um, that well. What happened is uh, I signed up to do this UCLA course to try and write some fiction that I was work. I've been working on for a while, 
And I thought, oh, this will be a good motivation to try and push, really push and try and get a manuscript done. Like that would be, that would be a massive life achievement if I could get like a, a manuscript for a novel done, uh, whether it published or not, but just for my own sort of mm-hmm. milestone. And um, they sent me an email about uh, uh, yesterday and it was just, they just said, uh, we're really sorry. There's not been enough attendance on this. So we're cancelling the pass. Are you kidding? Uh, no. And uh, I paid the money. Oh. Um, Did you get your money back, I assume? Get the it's money. Not a pyramid scheme or something. No, it was uh, legit. But um, but basically, my, my friend Michelle, who's probably listening, um, emailed the tutor. And basically, for like the same money, the tutor's going to kind of just do us like as a as a pair yeah she just said like she just said like well if you you know we'll just do some zoom things together and i mean that's fantastic i'm very surprised in the age of covid where everyone's at home kind of coming up with projects i thought there'd be a million novels waiting to be finished on a course yeah i'm surprised there's not the uptake and a big a big university ucla pop and they're popular for writing anyway and stuff so yeah, it's um, apparently there's not as many people writing novels out there as you think, <laughs> uh, or um, or maybe they don't want to spend the money on a course right now. I'm not sure, but it's well, it's, uh, it's worked out better for you, right? Yeah, so so as long as that comes off, that could be awesome, and I'll I'll definitely keep you all updated on how it's going. But uh, yeah, so it's been a long-standing goal of mine to write a longer piece of fiction. I've written short pieces short stories before things like that at university and beyond but yeah I've, I've had a, a few abandoned attempts at a longer piece and I just thought from like as a sort of you know you know like covid project if you like it would be it would be something to be able to say if I if we could come out of all of this and I got to the end of a of a manuscript and Absolutely. had something to show for it. It's like, oh, that would be a, you know, that would be a cool thing to at least be able to have. Uh, Do you know how long the supervision with the tutor is, or how much guidance you'll be getting? I think they said they would look at pages, like you know, whether it would be like whatever ten to twenty pages a session or whatever it be, and then they would give you craft like you know, a bit of lecturing on craft, what you what you thought you needed to talk and your about. friend is a writer as well, is she? Yeah, she's an editor, but also um, writes as well. And, you know, is uh, currently trying to get, get published and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it'll be a fun thing. But I'm, I've never taken like formal writing classes. Over all the time, I've sort of always learnt writing either through reading about the craft, watching lectures, trying to emulate other good writing or, you know, just at university, you get advice on how to write well and clearly, but it would be nice to get a bit of professional feedback. Uh, I, I mean, just think I, dare I say, I have a creative writing masters and um, yeah, yeah, I've mixed, mixed feelings about the art of teaching writing, I think, because <laughs> um, I felt like a lot of the modules we have, this isn't to be critical, of the program particularly but it was it was geared more towards things like exercises for dealing with writer's block and approaches that maybe if you're a professional novelist you will have to overcome if you're not in that position or you're a journalist or something it, it maybe wasn't relevant you know so there were, i think the spectrum of what can be taught within a 
taught creative writing program is actually really huge and i think the benefit you would get of saying i've got 90 out of 100,000 words of my draft i need to bring it together you're in a completely different position to i've read a lot of books what should i maybe i could write what should i do you know it's almost like that it was a cross between almost like writing parlor games just to get started you know like write your name and then let someone else write another sentence and then you reply it felt quite childish, but if you're in a different mindset, maybe that's a really effective tool. So, um, yeah, there's there's a million ways to go about it. Um, and I think you are, by you kind of see yourself and are much more defined as a writer than I am, I would say. So, particularly with this kind of in-person guidance, I would think you'll get a lot from the process. I think, yeah, getting getting to actually do your own, like having now made a lot of progress on my own it feels like it's better than showing up with like oh i don't really know i haven't really done anything that i'd like to write it feels like yeah that's just a that's bit almost like a night not to belittle it's like a night school project right it's like i want to change my i work in a bank and i want to do something different it's yeah. it's quite a different approach to i'm three quarters of the way through a process i've dedicated myself to and until like and and I guess this is true for anyone who out there wants to do creative things or do, you know, run a business or whatever. It's like, it's much, it's much easier. I find like the learning part or the mentorship is much easier when you've gone and started yourself and you've wobbled around a bit and you figured some things out, but then you can like, you know, like, okay, these are the bits I'm finding difficult. You know, if you've like started a business or something, but okay, we've we've kind of got this together. We got a website, we got that. Maybe I've made a couple of sales, but this bit we're having problems with. It's much easier to kind of go and get coaching at that point mm-hmm. than just like say showing up and being like, I'd like to have a business. It's like it's, such, yeah. it's abstract, isn't it? And it's so yeah, difficult. Completely. So it's uh, I find in a lot of things, if you can start first and then start to get the mentorship, it's a lot easier and. Uh, yeah, but but a lot of it's just like something else I found that I don't think will be an issue for you is the work we were doing was graded, um, but in quite a obviously incredibly subjective. The classroom was made up of poets, journalists, novelists, you know, people trying all kinds of things, usually one or two tutors marking everyone's work. But they also need to be encouraging for your creative ambition. So it kind of meant everyone got a 67 for every piece of work, you know, like it's enough to say, like, I'll try a bit harder and it'll get better, but keep going, you're doing well, and like good on you for trying. And well, actually, I'm not a journalist, but that sounds interesting. It's it's almost impossible to grade it um, unless it's kind of fundamentals of grammar or something like that, you know. Did they like when you were doing that? Uh, writing course did they try and give you like okay today's homework assignment is to go and try and do something with i don't know write a villain a character like would it yeah, be like sort of t- specific mechanical tasks of like writing yeah. in it or something yeah well, yeah there was definitely that or even i rem- i don't remember a ton of it because it wasn't the thing i focused on as much as the degree went on but um we spent a lot of time reading um, Bruce Chatwood's stuff, like excerpts from his travel writing. And then because that was what the tutor was really into, kind of like uh, ethnographic studies and travel studies and stuff, go away and write something like that. It's like we're in the Midlands. I'm not um, I'm not in the song lines in 
in Australia or something. I'm not really inspired to write like Bruce Chatwin, but okay. So yeah, there was a lot of that where you were maybe derailed into following something. We think, well, I'm working on a true crime novel. This isn't relevant. Yeah. Or, you oh, know, I, I... So you get pulled in all sorts of directions because it's almost as if the tutors have to be a bit of something for everyone or everything to everyone. So I, I, as a roundabout way of saying, having that focus of one-on-one, one-on-two-on-one tuition is is definitely going to be advantageous. Yeah, I was a. I remember my girlfriend at university was. Um, yeah, at the time she uh, she was doing a creative writing course, and she was tasked with like writing, like serious science fiction, and she had no interest in that. She was very much into literary stuff, but had no interest in writing about anything science fiction it just it just felt like this seems really pointless that she yeah if, if your sensibility doesn't go that way it's like oh write a western it's like, well, yeah. yeah no <laughs> you like writing about english country house comedies it's like what's yeah the, yeah uh, completely it's it's all it's worthwhile certainly to read all of like wider things to see how the mechanisms work and bits and pieces like that but committing to then go okay and yeah, now i'll write 15,000 words of something I'm never going to pursue. If the end goal is actually producing something viable, then that does seem a little bit of a waste of energy, really. I have, I have two questions for you, George. Would you tell someone to do a creative writing university degree? And second- so, so mine was a one-year master's degree. Um, right. Just to clarify what I decided, an undergraduate English degree, then moved into a master's degree that started off as a master's in creative writing. And out of personal choice, I changed it halfway through back to a kind of literature and English master's, but with half of the modules being creative writing rather than all of it, because I realised it wasn't where I wanted to go. But um, that's just a preface before my answers are revealed. Um yeah so english degree first and uh and yeah secondly so would you tell someone to do a creative writing co- a course and uh, or degree and then would you i'm just interested would you going back would you do english literature again as a course is that like was that something you chose off pure instinct of i like reading i enjoy books so this will be fun or were you were you like gaming it out any further than that of being like, well, I'd like to be around? No. Yeah, okay. no. So I, mine certainly wasn't gamed in that sense. It was, I read a lot. I was working in a bookshop at the time and that was kind of my interest. I had good grades in English when I was younger. So it, it kind of fit naturally, but there wasn't any forward thinking at all. And I think that's fairly apparent in how my life has since panned out. Um, but as for recommending a creative writing degree, I think if you're thinking about that at a young, younger age, then I would certainly say yes. You know, if you think, oh, that's something I'm really interested in, if, particularly if you're thinking about doing that for an undergraduate degree, then I would say you're probably quite motivated. Mm-hmm. And I would then say pursue it because three years of it guiding and taking you from, you know, young to th- three years later after education, I think you're going to go through quite a lot of transformation of, I would recommend it. I would say for people in the sort of situation that you're in, like a literary person, but maybe not studied literature directly or not studied creative writing directly, but have an interest in creating something, I would say, yeah, I, particularly in the kind of Zoom age, it feels like a degree that you could kind of append on to the rest of your life. And if you're dedicated to like maybe learn something from it and build 
build on the work you're doing, I would recommend it. I think I, I probably picked it for the slightly the wrong reasons. I'd done some other creative stuff during my undergraduate degree, like I'd written some comedy shows and I'd done a lot of student, did a lot of student radio and things like that. So it kind of felt like the closest academically in my field that I could get to the things I was doing outside of academia kind of thing and kind of merging them together. Um, and as that went on, I realized actually the academic stuff was maybe a bit more my focus and that's kind of the roundabout way of how I moved on to studying the degree I studied at Oxford, uh, which was a really roundabout and interesting place to have ended up because the college I was at there was what is the kind of real hotbed in Oxford for creative writing. The creative writing program at Oxford is fantastic. Um, Philip Pullman's one of the kind of figureheads that's involved with it. And there's lots of hands-on interaction with some very prominent authors in a way that where I studied for my undergrad, that wasn't really the case. So I think it was also quite easy to you know, maybe lose focus on it and think, or there's not really a career here or this isn't a viable career and a lot of the emphasis we were given during that degree was about how to get things like grants from the arts foundations and things like that rather than you're going to publish a novel and it's going to be super successful and you'll make loads of money which is of course also super naive but that's kind of what you have to go into a creative project thinking i think yeah, I, admit, I have a mixed feeling about that, but I think you certainly have to think, yeah, I'm good enough to be successful. I might not be, but I'm good enough. I have the potential to be. But there was an element of, you're never going to make it. Don't waste your time. Maybe get 10 grand from an arts council grant and that's the best you'll ever get. It sort of put me off the long-term thinking of it. So motivation or your kind of internal drivers are important if it purely is can I pull these hundred thousand words out of me what an amazing achievement that would be I would certainly get some guidance if you can to help you through it because your your aims are very noble ones you know um well wait so what was your your specific goal going were you thinking hey maybe I can write like a not really it was more for writing like sketches and stage comedy and things like that so that was it it was such a disparate program that yeah sketch comedy writing was lumped in with novel writing and they're obviously completely different disciplines right so it i i felt that it got more and more watered watered down it was inherently um limited in the amount of attention you could give everyone that we were given with our different focuses so as that happened i then changed to just focusing back on kind of more like literary academic studies so that was kind of my race was run fairly soon but i, I certainly went into it with the wrong motivations i think a driven novelist would benefit from it for sure that's interesting what you say though about um needing to go into a creative project feeling some kind of sense of this is going somewhere or this has a chance of being published or being successful I'm just wondering that as a wider as a wider idea I'm, I'm thinking literally in real time as I'm saying this is, hmm. is, I was thinking that in real time as I said it as well so <laughs> I'm, I'm now second guessing no, myself no it's interesting though in on some level because I, I struggle with this sometimes when I'm doing something that feels purely artistic and you know, there's things I can do that are fun, like I might make this video for Instagram today, but there's kind of not a lot of stakes in it if it's not 
well received or popular it's one mm. post right so it's like well that was fun and silly but it doesn't really matter it but... was five minutes wasn't it as well yeah as but it... four years of blood and sweat yeah and even like one bad youtube video or something it's like okay that was like a bit of a dud week but we'll do another one next week but um but yeah if you if you are if you are going to pour into a longer project and yeah this is something that definitely has made it difficult when i've the biggest projects I've ever done were a book with my brother, but we knew that was being published so that we were, you kind of had that knowing it was going to come out. The PhD thesis I did, which was, okay, if I do this, 100,000 words, it's really difficult, but I know that I've been accepted into this university and I, I have the capabilities to... Yeah, think. you've already been vetted to do the uh, project. Had a lot of self-doubt all through that and times of crisis and things, but at least it was, if I do the work and do the research, I should get through this. And then, But then this is the hard thing about doing something like this creative writing because you really... No one is giving you any guarantees and it's a big time commitment. And so I sometimes think about, well, if I suddenly lose a lot of faith in the project I'm doing, then it does sometimes take a lot for me. I, I can be someone who's like, ah, this isn't working, so I'm going to stop. Like, I'm just, just forget it. I'll do just some, some, something different. And I sometimes don't know, is that like, is that a self-sabotaging thing or is that you seeing well this project doesn't work so i better quickly move on to one that's more promising and the one i've been working on now is the one i felt the most positive about that i've done but that doesn't mean to say it has any chance of doing any kind of actual being published being commended so i do think well what if i did finish it it does nothing but you know will i be satisfied with the achievement of having finished it I imagine on some level, yes, but then, then there is the sort of like, how do you account for that time if mm. it doesn't if it doesn't end up benefiting? I think a real a real question there because lots of lots of very successful novelists or scriptwriters, whatever, will have had two or three that have written a novel and published it, or not even had it published, and then have written another one. And I think the big question there would be if you can pull a you know, 100,000, 150,000 word novel out of yourself and get almost a zero interest, response, care, people just sort of shrug at it, nothing happens. Is that going to be the end of your novelist's career? Or will you go, okay, I'll write a better and another one that's going to be another three years of my time. People that can do that four or five times and then be picked up. That's incredible to me to have that mindset because it is such a, huge undertaking it's not like i don't know i'll write a song and see if someone likes it or it's three minutes long whatever you know the stakes are so high to then go back again with no positive feedback and like yeah i mean that's a, i suppose you could answer that question now if you've got no no response to it we, you'd feel proud for having accumulated the work i would um, i the truth is i would feel very proud of it and uh, as you I, should yeah would be an achievement and like my PhD thesis has not been read by many people, <laughs> but it uh, it does it does have a pride in the. That's probably quite a good um, like ground uh, grounding for this process, right? You you did something that purely wasn't for sort of wider readership and yeah uh, yeah. 
It is Googleable. It is Googleable if any masochist wants to download it. Wouldn't, wouldn't bother. It's not. It's not got the most hits out of anything I've done. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, um, it, yeah. That and in a way, that is the test, right? The test to whether you a enjoy the work and c b see any value in it. If you, you know, some people have the philosophy of like I've heard some writers or creatives say, well none of the early stuff is wasted because it's all part mm-hmm. of the tra- it's the training it's the it's the thing that's getting you to be if you carry on as a if you carry on oh, it's like but you you know even intellectually right sometimes just learning training doing new yeah. things it, it does give you peripheral benefits having having put yourself through that but um, and for you i mean you're a sort of professional writer in many ways right so it certainly wouldn't be wasted for you whether it's picked up or not yeah it's it's just it just is um it is sometimes a a battle i go through internally just in in i need to at least have faith for a while i need some ember of hope in the the project i'm doing it's got to have the spark of something i'm i i'm seeing like oh that's exciting or there's something in that where i'm proud of that or enjoying it and i think i lose my tether if i start to if it piles up enough where I just look at it and I'm like, uh, this is, this is rubbish. Like if I, I can't, I can't finish something feeling like, man, this yeah. sucks. Cause then it's like, I should have bailed and turn a corner and do something different. But Cause there is also, we, we've talked about it a lot on here that, well, like the sunk cost fallacy. Right. And right. Should, should you keep like, do you think in that way about this kind of project? Yeah. I, again, if I saw nothing in it, I would think of the way of I'll just quit this because, you know, sometimes you start, sometimes I start blogs or whatever and things and I abandon it because I'm like, this was a crap idea and, and it was, you know, it didn't pan out. So, but do you feel like you've gotten over that hump? Like that to me feels like maybe a hump that would rear its head at the kind of 50 to 70% mark, you know, have yeah. you gotten past that point? I think, um, I think at the moment with the thing I've been working on, this is the furthest I've ever gotten past, past the humps of self doubt or of wanting mm. to quit. And possibly I may be at the point now where I'm beyond the point of no return, where I kind of have to finish it now, mm. um, you know, regardless of what that ends up looking like. But it's, uh, it, it's very strange because I just don't usually do things that are purely artistic without any, you know any certainties at all about where they're going like many things i do have a i write something with my brother we know that's going to go out we make some videos i compose them um i do investing stuff that's got an immediate result or not yeah. and if it's working i'll keep doing this if it's not i'll stop there's just not many things like that where but i, I may that's i guess that's the artist's battle right that is what all those people who have tried to do, you know, interesting artistic things struggle with. I, I remember reading about Henry Miller, who, um, you know, spent a long time before he, you know, had his breakthrough with Tropic of Cancer. And that novel was a very much, I think it was his third. Uh, third he, used or to, he used to churn pornography out on command, didn't he? He used to be a <laughs> sort of pawn to order author. So he clearly had a, you know, he, he went through it before he started yeah. creating. And I think it was his third or fourth novel. And he was obviously quite poor in Paris and stuff and lived this kind of bohemian life. But he 
Tropic of Cancer, if, if anyone doesn't know it, it was an obscene novel. It's very pornographic, uh, kind of mad, very modernist, a lot of stream of consciousness. But it was basically he he at some point just went like, fuck it. And he decided like this novel, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go all like no holds barred. I'm just going to go for it, like throw everything at the wall. And it was sort of his like, you know, his his um, how, yeah, it was a how Mary pitch. It was just like I'm just going to do this exactly how I feel like it, and really let rip. And it it was the one that worked. So there you go. So I think it, I, the only book of his I've read that's gifted to me is a kind of smutty joke, I suppose. Um, it's called Opus Pistorum, which I think in Latin means the work of the Miller, and it was a literally a toward a piece of pornography where he was paid like per word and the smuttier the word the more he got paid you know if there's three of i don't know smutty interactions per page you'd get paid a lot more so yeah i i don't know it's like he kind of burnt burnt himself out like used up to call tropic of cancer like really filthy it's like it's nothing compared to the earlier stuff you know he kind of reined it in almost so maybe he kind of went you know, as close as you can get to the, the limit and then brought it back and that made him realise what would be sort of more palatable widely. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he lit, like, if you're lit, literally kind of working toward it, that's a very different um, novelist's endeavour, right? It's just like guns head, get this finished by the end of the day. It's a bit more like journalism, I suppose, or deadline-driven work. Yeah. it's um... Which you're a lot more used to, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And... And uh, yeah, I mean, if you have deadlines, things tend to happen. But it, it does astonish me when you get the range between you get some authors who, you know, over 30 years wrote three great books and that was all they wrote. And then mm. you've got like Joyce Carol Oates, who seems to have written about like 70 novels or something. You know, she yeah. just pumped them out and you look at her bibliography and it's crazy. And it's it's just like there's not there's not a plug and play archetype for producing creative work it seems that some people's it's very like it's either very lumpy or very consistent like proust wrote those enormous novels and pretty much they were what he produced when he was like, he died. <laughs> yeah in his late 30s he started those novels and just kind of produced them till he died and it's all one big long story right so it's just very weird how there's not a consistent sort of way for it to be done but uh yeah. but yeah i don't know i was uh that that paul mccartney he's he's been a been a prolific fella from the beginning as yeah the song is again like if you're good at that i'd much i don't know i'd much rather be a really good songwriter than a really good novelist right it's, it's just like it's sit down fun. knock a song out 20 minutes and off it's so great you could just you know that you can like you know, I took a few months and wrote an album or something. And just like, what? How does that? Yeah. yeah. Um, especially that in those Beatles days, they were they were they condensed to such a small time. Some of those amazing albums were being written in like less than six months. Definitely, while on tour, while yeah, kind of filling their boots and having a right time of it. Yeah, it's incredible. So they can write a novel like that. If you do, it becomes a bit Kerouacky and affected. There's a I know this is something we we discuss sometimes, but there's a the, in a Hayao Miyazaki film I watched recently, The Wind Rises. 
there's an engineer and he meets this ghostly guru who's like a was another great Japanese engineer and he tells him that basically every great artist gets 10 years in the sun which he means like you get 10 you get 10 years of being amazing and then your kind of gift like dissipates or goes a bit and it was clearly what Hayao Miyazaki's philosophy was on art like it was very clear that it was him talking through it and I've heard that put forward before as well by Harold Bloom, who seems to think that poets, many, many great poets, basically had a spectacular decade at some point. And then it kind of doesn't, the rest doesn't hold up. Like he said, Walt Whitman had an astonishing 10 years and then wrote loads of blather for the rest of his life. And Wordsworth, <laughs> like the, the later stuff or the earlier stuff really doesn't hold up. But yeah, I don't know. There's There's some theories on that where some people think there's, Artists have a decade of greatness. We uh, we drove to Washington DC a couple of weeks ago, Steve, and we were halfway down a very, you know, very large kind of interstate highway in New Jersey, like sort of eight lanes of cars, and we went past the Walt Whitman service station, which I thought was a, <laughs> a fit, fitting tribute to a great transcendentalist. Um, it just seemed very very odd i mean i it turned out i had to google it after the fact but i think he died in new jersey and spent some of his life in new jersey so it was kind of geographically relevant but what a way to honor the kind of great creative with a, a wendy's and a taco bell on the side of the road the poet of america <laughs> <laughs> remembered there yeah um I think we, we've alluded to this before. I think we have another podcast episode in us about talking about whether people um, can continue to create as they get older. I know we've argued this about musicians before. and Maybe we should put a pin in that as a topic to do at a later date because I'm, I think that's an interesting point that Bloom has made and I don't know if I agree with him. Um, um, George V. Bloom. <laughs> I mean, how old was Bloom? He carried on writing for years and years. Yeah, but he, he would say, I guess he would say he wasn't an artist. He was a literary critic, wasn't he? Okay, all right, still. <laughs> and some would then go, yeah, but Harold Bloom came up with all that anxiety of influence stuff when he was in his 40s, and, you know, that was... Sort of, you can still be creative in criticism, can't you? You have to still have a creative mind. Yeah, but they go, oh, he came up with all that stuff early on and then just repeated himself. Oh, just kept churning the same guff. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of those though artists do love to theorize about these things evelyn war had this theory that um novel every novelist has like two great novels in them and then endlessly repeats themselves was his sort of assessment so a lot of artists do have these sort of pet pet theories as to well, you, you of course you can't be uh you can't come up with completely different entirely different ideas and um can't you're going to be consistent to some degree but that that's an extra requirement, right? It's not, it's not you have to be creating over a 60 year span and everything you create has to be distinct from the thing you've done before. That's, that's, that's a, a mental bit, I mean, prerequisite. That is, yeah, it's, it's a big enough ask to write Mojave yeah. or yeah. Gravity's Rainbow in the first place, let alone to say, well, now you've got a, now you've got a, James Joyce has got to reinvent literature yeah. after Ulysses. It's, it's a big ask of that. Yeah. If if Ulysses is what Joyce leaves, then I'm, I think he's done done a good. So thing. be it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's let's uh, let's discuss that at a, at a later date, Steve.
Um, all right. Well, should we should we wrap this one? I feel like we've covered. Yeah. Fair ground. Go on. You completely hijacked it with your creative writing stuff. So. Oh, you. Oh, well, you got you got a lot to talk. About. I'm sitting on tons of stuff here, but we're never going to know now, are we? Well, next time we will. <laughs> that that's, that's the tease, guys. What's what's up, George's a big wizard sleeve? <laughs> Come on. Um. All right. Well, uh, you know, if you're writing anything out there, give us a shout. We're we're I'm in it with you. Keep at it. And uh, keep at it. And George can bring us one of his songs that he's writing. And uh, we'll all we'll all create together. So, uh, you can email me. Uh, DM me on Instagram, Stephen H Hussey at Stephen H Hussey. Just say, "Hey, I'm one of the speaking generally listeners, and boys, I am loving it." <laughs> if you're out there, uh, maybe give me a follow on Instagram as well. It's a bit of bit harder work. You have to do the work to find me. Um, <laughs> but if you can be bothered, find me through Steve and give me a give me a follow. I'd really but you're not it. even going to tell them the Instagram handle. You're going to make no. it. Happen. No, you can find me. You, you'll find, if you want to, you'll find me. Brilliant. What, what a promotion. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, cheers, George. Um, see you all soon. Thanks, guys.